Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt the Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoyed today's message. It's my privilege to be able to share with you this morning. If you were here for Shavuot uh, on Thursday evening, um, I'm, I'm going to follow. It's, almost, it's not really a part two message, but it's a message that does connect with some of what we said on Thursday evening. Some wonder what the, pre, the presentation was for Shavuot. Now, I know among believers in Yeshua, Pentecost, we usually say the word I've said twice already, which is Shavuot. We usually call it Shavuot. How many are you getting comfortable with the word Shavuot? It's starting to really seep in if you weren't raised with it. And we particularly link Shavuot or Pentecost with Acts chapter 2, commonly called the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. And, and we, we should link Pentecost or Shavuot with Acts chapter 2 because it was a monumental event. On Thursday evening, it was a history changing event. Just think about it. The apostles up to that time, uh, what was going to happen in that intermediate period, which was our, our study last Tuesday in our Bible studies, what happened in the intermediate period between Yeshua's death, burial, and resurrection and Shavuot, and a lot happened during that time. And in some ways, during that time frame, uh, there, everything was on the line. Would the Talmudim, would the apostles actually do what they were told to do, which was to go ye therefore into all the world and preach the good news, or would they not get at it, and would they just go back to what they were doing? I'm thankful to say, and I think we should all be very thankful about this, that they obeyed what the Lord told them to do. Hence, the Besorah. Can you say Besorah? The good news, the gospel went out into all the nations, and including even to Oklahoma City. And here we sit. Oklahoma City in the year 2021. And if we went around the room, we'd find out that we were from many different areas, uh, even beyond the United States. The Bessarah, the good news, hit all these areas and over the centuries has been repeated and repeated, sometimes accurately, other times with a few other, um, how would I say it, foibles thrown into it, but it was repeated. In Acts chapter 2, when you read that monumental chapter, that historically important chapter that's found in the Brit Hadashah in the New Covenant, you see that there's a, a remarkable event that takes place and there's almost like a, an, an immersion or a, a strong introduction, perhaps some might think, to the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. But I'm here today to suggest to you that the Talmudim, the Shlichim, the apostles, and the followers of Yeshua, plus the devout Jews who were gathered for that Shavuot time, 
they were quite aware of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. You might ask, well, how did they know? How were they aware of the Holy Spirit? Uh, some even think, well, no, the Holy Spirit only occurs in the Brit Hadashah, the New Covenant. That's where the Holy Spirit, and there it is. Yeshua talked about in Acts chapter 2, there it is. Well, that's not really the full story. I'm convinced the Talmudim, the followers of Yeshua, the Shlichim, the apostles, and the devout Jews that were gathered at that Acts chapter 2 event, that Shavuot, they knew a lot more about the Holy Spirit than we might imagine. How did they know? Simply stated, it says they were devout Jews, devout Jewish people, and devout Jewish people at that time knew much more about the, the Scripture than we would think. And they read in the Hebrew Scriptures about the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, as he's called in Hebrew. So they had famili familiarity with the Holy Spirit. They understood somewhat, perhaps in a, in a, in a veiled way, but somewhat they understood that uh, uh, concerning the, the dunamis or the power of the Holy Spirit. They also knew about the Holy Spirit's interactions with individuals. How could you not read the Torah and, and realize that God does something special with Bezalel and Aholiav? The spirit of wisdom comes on them, and they're able to build and construct and do and fulfill the will of the Lord, the, the plan of God, by His Spirit through His help. So they knew that the Holy Spirit was powerful. They knew the Holy Spirit at times came upon individuals, there as they read through the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scriptures. They knew also that the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, interacted with not only Israel, but also with the nations and intervened at times and in the very history of other nations. How could you not hear the historical name of Cyrus, Koresh in Hebrew? How could you not hear the name of Cyrus and, and look at how God used this man who wasn't from Israel, used this man in a, in a remarkable way. And an unction came on him to do some remarkable things in behalf of and on behalf of the Jewish people and on behalf of and for the furthering of God's prophetic plan. So they knew from the scriptures, the Tanakh as we would call it today, the Torah, the Nevi'im, the Ketuvim, they knew from the scriptures that the Holy Spirit existed, that he was mentioned numerous times in, in the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, and they knew that the Holy Spirit was involved somehow in the lives of people over the course of the centuries. Some have looked at the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scriptures, and the Brit Hadashah, the New Covenant Scriptures, and, and their, their, their view is that, well, you know, it's two different things. But I'm here to suggest to you that it's one spirit that was working. From Genesis to the book of Revelation, one spirit, the Holy Spirit working among the people of God, God's Holy Spirit working among the people of God to bring about His purposes. He anointed individuals, the Ruach did. He worked in and through lives, the Ruach did. He sovereignly intervened in circumstances. I mean, how could we not at this Shavuot time, as we read the traditional reading of the book of Ruth, 
And I certainly see the intervention of the Spirit of God in the life of Ruth. How many agree with that? The Spirit of God intervened in, in Ruth's life. And we more readily talk about it when we talk about Esther, Esther, Hadassah. The Spirit of God, God intervening in Hadassah's life. But how dramatic was the intervention in Ruth's life? I mean, think about what God did with this woman who's commemorated at this time, this time of Shavuot. If you were here Thursday, I also gave a homework assignment. I rarely ever do that. And the homework assignment was point, part A of the homework assignment, point, point Aleph, was to read the book of Ruth. And hence, as we read the book of Ruth, we realize that God was able to remarkably use this woman as she yielded to that was good and right in the sight of the Lord. Starting with dealing with her often cantankerous mother-in-law, Naomi, but also following through and doing all that she could to do what was right in the sight of the Lord. And she eventually says that famous statement, and I'll repeat part of it. She says, wherever you go, I'm going. Your people are my people. Don't even ask me to leave you. Wherever you're going to be buried, I'll be buried there too. May death, may nothing but death separate us, she says. But that's not all that happened because of Ruth. You see, through Ruth, through this woman who was a Moabitess and became part of Yehudah, the people of the Jewish people, through Ruth, eventually came, a short time afterwards, really, when you think about it, came Melech David, King David. And we all know that Messiah Yeshua is connected back through King David. So there's a connection to Yeshua the Messiah through Ruth. Now, both of these individuals, David, connected to Ruth, Yeshua the Messiah, connected to Ruth, both of these individuals, though many hundreds of years separated from them, both of these individuals, both of these individuals spoke about the Holy Spirit. King David seemed to understand the role of the Holy Spirit in what I would call a remarkable way. For example, have you ever read Psalm 51? Psalm 51, verse 11, tells what David said after he sinned with Bathsheba. And David, David implored God. He says, "Al tashlicheni milfanecha." Translated, that means, "Do not cast me away from your presence." Al tashlicheni milfanecha, and then he continues this: "Beruach kachecha al tikach mimeni," and do not take what? Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Ruach Katshecha. He pleads with God. He had sinned with Bathsheba in, in a very egregious manner. In fact, a grievous manner. He had sinned with Bathsheba. And as this sinks in and he realizes what he had done and the, the veneer of it all washes away and changes and he sees the core issue there of how, that he had sinned against God. Do not cast me away from your presence, Lord. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. 
to state this in our terms, if we were to put it in our terms, David knew that God's intervening presence and his spirit made all the difference in his life. And he pleads with him, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Don't take him away from me. Now, he may have been aware of what it says in Sefer Bereshit, the book of Genesis, chapter 6, verse 3, where God says at the very beginning, just before the days of Noah, just before Noah is, is, is brought into the, the Torah text, God makes this, a statement. He says, Lo yadon ruchi v'adam le'olam. My spirit shall not strive with man forever. And it's almost like a warning. It's a warning. My spirit's involved, the Lord says, but it's not going to be forever. And I think we should take that to heart, by the way. It's so important for us to avail ourselves of walking in the spirit as we're commanded in the Brit Hadashah, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to walk in the fruit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, to avail ourselves of, of such a thing. Now, did David perhaps... Knowing Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, where God says, My spirit shall not strive with man forever. Did David, in a sense, personalize that? We'll never know. But did he personalize that idea and thought after the sin with Bathsheba? Did he think, Oh, I hope God doesn't take his spirit from me. I hope he doesn't take his spirit from me because of what I've done. And most of us know that when we sin before the Lord, we find a separation that comes between us and God. In fact, Isaiah, the Navi, the prophet, said that in the name of the Lord says, your sins have made a separation between you and me, he says. He pleads in the very beginning of the book of Yeshayahu, he, said, he pleads and says, come, let us reason together. Though your sins may be as scarlet, I shall make them as white as snow. And then he said, if you be willing and obedient, you'll eat the very best of the land. And many like to stop at that place. But he says, if you refuse, in other words, if you disobey, you don't want to yield yourself to me. He says, there's going to be severe consequences to that. Are there severe consequences? Is that just something from the Torah, from the Tanakh, from the Hebrew Scriptures that's not followed through in the New Covenant? I'd suggest to you today to consider that the book of Romans, written by Rav Shaul, the apostle, commonly referenced as the uh, Pharisee, Rav Shaul also said that the wages of sin, death. That's a pretty severe consequences consequence, and I'm so thankful that he didn't stop there in his explanation, but he says also that the gift of God is eternal life. How? Through Yeshua, through faith in Yeshua the Messiah. It's my heart's desire here today as we're in this Shavuot season and we're coming into the summer. Next week, Lord willing, we have a Tevila service, and you, if you have never been immersed, please be immersed. Believe in the Lord and be immersed is really the, the, the divine prescription for his people. Please be immersed. But it's my heart's desire that we would recognize the need in our lives to be led, filled, directed by the Holy Spirit of God. And I do wonder, did David think, maybe God will, this is such a grievous sin, maybe God will take his spirit from me now. 
It was difficult for David after that. But as I mentioned, David spoke about the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. Yeshua also spoke quite often about the Holy Spirit. Let me remind you of something he said. David was concerned about God taking away the Holy Spirit. What does Yeshua talk about? He talks about God giving the Holy Spirit. He implored in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, he reminded them, he said, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, to those who ask him? And a parallel passage that's found in Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, says almost exactly the same thing with a couple of switches of words. Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, says this, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? The Holy Spirit, it mentions in Luke 11, good things it mentions in Matthew 7. And a comparison of Luke and Matthew's statements reveals that the cause and effect are interchanged. Messiah, Matthew's emphasis is upon the blessings, the, what he calls the good things, while Luke is stressing the divine source of those good things, which is obviously the Holy Spirit of God. They're connected. The divine source is the Holy Spirit of God. The, the blessing are those good things that the Holy Spirit brings in our life. And how many would agree that yielding to the Holy Spirit brings good things into your life? I have my hand up on that one. Frankly, I've been on the other side of that too. And it's not good things that come. Sin and corruption and, and all, all manner of things come when we don't obey the Holy Spirit and we go and do our own thing. So truly, God's Spirit creatively operates in the lives of Messianic believers. I've watched it. Maybe you've watched it in your own life. Maybe you've observed it in others that you know who are believers. And you look at their life, and as time goes by, you see something happening in their life. And it's not just any old thing. It's something good. It's something God-word. It's towards God. It's towards the things of God. It's, in some cases, it's revolutionary what happens in lives, coming to know the Lord. But God's Spirit creatively operates in the lives of Messianic believers, and He operates it thus to bless us. He desires to bless us. If you're here today, please know He desires to bless you. But understand that it's blessing according to His purposes and blessing according to, can I use the term, prescription, by obeying Him. He wants to enhance also by His Spirit our, our service within the community and to those around us. He wants to enhance that, our service to Him in the community. Now, our introduction to the Spirit of God is probably the most well-known part of the mention of the Spirit of God, and it's found in Genesis chapter 1. And I assume that everybody's familiar with this passage. Beginning with verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Does this sound familiar? <laughs> The earth was without form and void, 
and darkness was on the face of the, the deep. And it's at that point the Spirit of God is introduced. And it says, and the Spirit of God, the Hebrew is Ruach Elohim, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then the Word of God comes forth. And God said, let there be light. And lo and behold, there was light. God said it and it happened. Now, the Holy Spirit has been called the active agent of creation. And I think there's, there, there's something to that. Because we see the mention of the Holy Spirit, then immediately after with the word of God connected with the Holy Spirit comes forth creation. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. His work, the work of the Spirit, was critical to the final outcome even as the work of the Spirit in our life will be critical to the final outcome of our life. And I want you to hear that again. The work of the Holy Spirit was critical in the final outcome of what happened at the beginning of creation. And the work of the Spirit is critical in our lives to the final outcome of our lives. Critical. In fact, you cannot take them away from it. He must be involved in the lives of the believers. And I pray that in our lives, he's deeply involved, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit is deeply involved in what's happening in our lives. And you might say, well, you know, I, I, don't, you know, I, I don't really have the Spirit. I just feel like the Spirit's not close to me. My suggestion is to do what Yeshua said. Ask the Father. Ask for the measure of the Spirit, a deepened measure. The Holy Spirit was the active agent in creation. The Holy Spirit is the active agent by which, through faith, we become a new creation in Messiah. It's the work of the Spirit drawing us. And by repenting of our sins and trusting in our Messiah as we do that, and we trust from our heart, if we believe in our heart, in Messiah Yeshua, we are what's called we are born again, born anew, born again. And we're born again of, by, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. That whole born again process, I know that that's taken a lot of beating, beating over the decades, people talking about being born again, born again, born again. But you know, it's actually a biblical term. It's a very biblical term. It tells us, first of all, in reference to that work of the Holy Spirit, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, Rob Shaul addressing the Corinthian believers, who are both Jews and non-Jews, says, but we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord, it says this, it says, we all are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Transformation is a word that's used there. Being changed. Going from glory to glory, which, which has the idea of growing, growing, going forward, growing. And do you recall what Yeshua told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 3? And this is one scene I would have loved to have the, the DVD of to see what, how Nicodemus faced, how he responded to some of what was said, how he came, he came in the nighttime. You know, it'd have some big lights on him and we could see exactly what happened. But Yeshua told him in John chapter 3, verse 3, he says this, most assuredly I say to you, 
please listen to this. And don't let it be so common to you that you don't get it, what it says. Some of us, we shoot ourselves in a proverbial foot because we think Scripture is so well known to us that, you know, I can read the section, I don't really need to pay attention. I know this well. But if you miss this, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, notice what it says. The serious ramifications of this. Unless one is born again, he, what? He cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one's born again, Yeshua said, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Would you agree with me that being born again by faith in Messiah Yeshua is absolutely critical? In kingdom matters, it is absolutely critical. And if you're here today and you've never given your life fully to the Lord, please don't play around about that. I believe it's important to have an historical point in your life where you know beyond a shadow of doubt, I gave my life to Messiah Yeshua. Really, the truth is he apprehended me. I gave my life to Messiah Yeshua, and I'm his now. There's no turning back. It's forward, Kadima in the Lord. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see Mahut Elohim, the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus, if you read all of Yochanan chapter 3, Nicodemus was, to put it mildly, he was taken back. He was a great teacher in Israel. He was uh, purportedly a part of the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin. And Yeshua speaks and says, basically says, you don't, you don't understand this? And you're, you're the teacher? You don't understand this? You're a leader among the Jewish people, among our people. So Yeshua says to them, you don't get this? And in John chapter 3, verse 7, it continues. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Which gives us the, the idea that Nicodemus was marveling about that. And the text seems to point to that. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. And then there's this incredible statement of Yeshua. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, I've noticed over the decades as a believer that individual believers are found. They, they start out in one place. They become a, it's not uniform. It's not everyone. But they start at one place. They become saved, let's say, in, a, in Florida. I'll use that as an example. And they end up somewhere else in the big wide world. Sometimes they sh- they're shaking their heads. How did I end up here? How did I get here? Could it be the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, leading, guiding, and directing? And for most people, there is a, a sort of transitory part of faith. Was it not so for Abraham? Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Lech lecha, you go forth, go forth. Go forth where, he could have asked. Go forth to the land I'm going to show you. Um, I might have asked at that point. I might have said, could we look at it on the map so I kind of know the directions? And you might have asked the same thing. Um, could we GPS it so I know how to go? Which, which way to go? 
A person that walks by faith, it's, it's, they're not walking according to their own understanding. In fact, we're advised in Mishle Shlomo, the Proverbs of Solomon in chapter 3, one, a verse that you can probably quote. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. What does it say? Do not lean on what? Your own understanding. But what? But in how many ways? In all your ways, what do you do? You acknowledge him. Literally, you know him. Know him in all your ways. And then there's a promise connected. If you get through all that, there's a nice promise connected. And what is that promise? He shall direct your paths. How many of you want the Lord's direction in your life? Major decisions we make in our lives should not be taken glibly. They should be looked at carefully. There should be discernment. Sometimes counsel's needed. Is this the right thing for me to do? My flesh says yes. I feel this way. But is it you, Holy Spirit, that's leading me in this direction? Because the, those who are led by the Spirit, as Rob Shul later says, these are the children of God. As many as are led by the Spirit, these are the children of God. So having been born again, if you're a believer here, you have been born again. You've gone through that spiritual process. Yeshua told Nicodemus, says, why are you marveling about that? But if you've been born again through faith in Messiah Yeshua and through the creative power of the Ruach at work within you, something happened inside of you. That, that creative power of the Ruach, the Spirit of God, will be attested to hear this please, by the changes that will take place in your life. There'll be some, how would I say it, some evidence, some evidence that will come forward through your very actions and character that you are a born-again believer. Now, we've all encountered individuals that said, oh, I believe in Jesus, I believe in Jesus, and then they start cussing. Said, will you come with me to the bar to get a drink? We'll talk about Jesus, you know, that type of stuff. Now, Something's not kosher there. Something's a little bit out of skew with that. But if you've really been born again, and you've given your life to the Lord, you will see some changes in your life. And let me ask you, I like to do Michael polls. Let me ask you, let's do a poll here today. How many of you can honestly say that since you gave your life to the Lord, your life has been changed? It's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> Did you do it in your own strength? <laughs> Actually, most of us did tug of, tug of war on things. God's pulling this way, and we were going this way. Guess who wins? Hopefully him in our lives, that he wins. But as we yield to the Ruach HaKodesh, to the Holy Spirit, to use the, the, the terminology that's given in the book of Galatians, as we yield to the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit comes forth both in and through our lives. And the overall goal that we have in life changes because we seek now to, uh, to no longer be self-centered, but we want to be Yeshua-centric in our life. We want to follow the Messiah. We want to serve Him rather than just the emptiness of, of self. Self can be a very empty, lonely place. How many people are connected to self? Self. <laughs> It explains it right there. Rob will characterize this theologically if you look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. 
he made it so subjective, so personal, which to me really heightens the, the value and the impact, the oomph behind this particular verse in Galatians 2.20. Notice how he says, I have been crucified with Messiah. This whole text changes if it's talking about you've been crucified with the Messiah, but he's getting very, how would you say, transparent here. He's describing his own life and what's happened. I have been crucified with Messiah. It is no longer I who live. He considers himself dead. His flesh mortified, dead. I've been crucified with the Messiah. It is no longer I who live, but Messiah lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live how? I live by faith. In Ben Elohim, in the Son of God. And he describes what the Son of God did. He loved me and gave himself for me. Friends here today, I hope that you have those two things as deep understanding in your heart and your life, no matter what comes your way. Understand that he loves you and understand that he willingly gave himself for you. So that you no longer have to live according to the flesh, but you can have newness of life through the renewal, the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. I think we increasingly realize as we walk a life of trust in Yeshua and endeavor to serve him, we we start to realize more and more that his exhortation to his followers in John chapter 15, beginning with verse 3, is absolutely immutable truth. Immutable truth. He says in verse 4 of John 15, I'm actually going to do verses 4 and 5. He said, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Let me read that again more fluently. Yeshua said, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And then verse 5, he says this. He really gives identity to this. He gives perspective to it. He gives the, the talkless, the baseline understanding of it. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. And I cannot tell you how much in my life, and I know others have told me this next statement has challenged their lives. Others in our Kehilah have told me this. He says, he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. And then there's this statement. For without me, you can do Nothing. <laughs> I don't know how that strikes you, but I have been convicted so many times by that. Others here have told me they've been convicted by that. I've even heard people say that and repeat that. That idea is so true. Bearing much fruit in the Lord then is paramount for us. It's extremely important for us. At this time of Shavuot, when we think about the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, Bearing much fruit, or what's commonly called the fruit of the Spirit, is important for us, even as are his gifts. And bearing fruit for him has many aspects to it. 
bearing much fruit has even more aspects to it. For example, we want to influence and turn others towards the Lord. Now, we can't always get them to sign the proverbial dotted line. But hashba'ah, influence, influencing others towards the Lord in a godly way is a good thing. Some of us need nudges. We need to continually be pushed forward a little bit. And if we can do that with those around us and influence and help turn them towards the things of God, towards the kingdom of God, towards the word of God in life, that is a good deed. That's a mitzvah. It's a very important deed. And as we do that, we want to make sure that we ourselves are increasingly shining forth Messiah's character through our lives. It's very hollow to to want others to follow the Lord if we ourselves are not really following him. It's very hollow. Something's amiss when we want others to be committed to the Lord, but our commitment is lukewarm, Laodicean type of commitment as Revelation places it. And we are to bear much fruit. That's the goal, regardless of our earthly status. Do you realize he doesn't put a qualifier on that? He says, now I want all the men to bear fruit. He doesn't say, I want all the, all the women to bear fruit, much fruit. He doesn't say that at all. I want all you who are single to bear much fruit. I want all you that are married to bear much fruit. I want all those who have divorced, I want you to bear much fruit. The wealthy, the poor, the educated... All of our, no matter what our status is, he wants us all to bear much fruit. Whether you're single or married, male or female, wealthy, poor, educated or not, he wants us all to bear fruit for the kingdom. And it's well known that Rob Scholl listed the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. Let me remind you of them. I think it's appropriate during this season of Shavuot when we focus so much on the Ruach HaKodesh. We think about his gifts the gift uh, offices within the community, and then also the fruit of the Spirit. But there's one of these lists that Rav Shaul tended to give. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. It's very, very clear. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And then it says this, in the New King James Version, against such there is no law. I mean, there's no restriction on those. You can bear as much of the fruit as you want to. There's no restriction on the love that you should be putting forth in your life, the joy, the peace, etc. And then there's an important point in verse 24 of Galatians. And those who are Messiahs have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Could it be that that's really the crux issue for us? That it's important that we make sure that we, we understand that we, we have been, as, as Paul said, that we've been crucified with the Lord. We understand that our life is no longer our own, that we've been bought with a very heavy indeed price. The blood, the precious blood of Yeshua the Messiah. And as born-again believers, as we mature, as we follow Yeshua, We should, again, let me state this, we should notice changes going on in our lives, taking place within us, and also important aspects of our personal character. For example, for followers of Messiah Yeshua, joylessness, the lack of joy, joylessness in life becomes joyfulness 
as we serve the Lord, as we do His will and not our own, and we rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice, as Rob Shaul said. And we do that because as we obey Him, there's a certain joy to that. Have you noticed there's a certain joyfulness to obeying the Lord? There's a joy to that. When we have inner turmoil, and is increasingly, the inner turmoil we have is increasingly dispelled by the peace of God which passes all understanding. That comes through Messiah, Yeshua, through faith in Him. When we realize deep within our, ourselves, as the Hebrew text says, Hushlomenu, He Himself is our peace. He's our peace. So we can have, rather than turmoil, we can have peace as we relinquish our life to him and say, Lord, lead me where you would lead me. Guide me where you would guide me. Use me as you would use me. I am your servant. And who said that? King David. I am your servant. Now, I have to talk about one other thing. Impatience. (laughs) Impatience in our lives should give way to patience. Now, that's a tough one, I think. How many think that's tough? Patience and, you know, that can be very tough. And you may have it down in in some areas concerning patience, but other areas you don't have it. Just driving here today. This, I don't know, tell this. Because it didn't involve me. I observed it through the rearview mirror. I was stopped, stopped over at the airport at uh, 59th Street and 152, heading towards the airport to come here. And I came to the light. I was the first in the light there, and that's a really long light. Some of you may know that area. That seems like that's the eternal light, you know. It's a long light, the near Tamid, you know. And I, there, and I was the first in the line, and I waited patiently there, and... I pulled out, and I looked behind me, and I noticed that three cars behind me didn't move. <laughs> I started praying for that first driver. <laughs> I didn't want to see. I didn't want to see him get rammed or <laughs> what happened. And for for I went. I don't know how many feet I was going up towards one for two until I could no longer see. And then the guy finally moved, and I actually said, "Hallelujah, <laughs> he moved." <laughs> That can be dangerous, but patience really gets us. But the Holy Spirit, let me say it this way to help us. The Holy Spirit, you know what he's doing? (laughs) He is patiently working in your life and mine. He is patiently working with you. So let's, let's bring patience forward in our life. And where we once were just crude, at times we were ungracious, we could be condescending and patronizing, and even at times crass towards other people. Because of the work of the Spirit in our life, we should be increasingly extending kindness to them. Extend to them kindness whether they know the Lord or not. Extend kindness to them. And as we yield more and more to the Spirit of God, we see His goodness working in our lives. So, you know, when we, we desire God's goodness to work in our lives, let's desire the same thing to happen in those around us, that God's goodness would work in their lives. And let's not desire malice or ill will or have that towards others. Let's desire God's goodness to be extended to them, even as we want that extended to you. Do you want God's goodness extended to you? I'm sure you would say yes, of course. 
Now, unfaithfulness is a really important one. I think over the years, I've noticed that that is a, a lot of times an Achilles heel, unfaithfulness. And when unfaithfulness decreases in our lives by the power of the Spirit, we conversely grow in faithfulness. As unfaithfulness decree, decreases, we increase in faithfulness. It's this balance there. And if we will grow in faithfulness because of the transforming power of God, who knows what he will do with us? Who knows how he will commission us? Because he seems to have his eye on the faithful. And faithfulness is a critical character trait. If I'm to camp on any one of these traits, it would be this one. Because if this one's not right, the rest are going to be a miss. If we are unfaithful, whether it's morally or with material things, tithing, material things, or even how we interact with God's sheep. If we're unfaithful in those areas, as Yeshua said it, how can we be entrusted with the greatest riches if we can't deal with the simplest things? Who would entrust the great things to those that aren't faithful with the simplest? And Solomon had many Proverbs about this, but I want to share one, Proverbs 25, verse 19. Confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble <laughs> is like a bad tooth and a foot out of joint. <laughs> and as I was studying this, and this, this proverb came to my mind several weeks ago to a particular situation I became aware of, and I thought the real issue was untrustworthiness, actually not connected to Rospina, something I'm involved with the IMCS. But I thought that, you know, unfaithfulness and untrustworthiness is really the root of what this problem is. But it sounds like Solomon had some experience with this. Confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a bad tooth and a foot out of joint. And I just want to remind you that back then, if you had a bad tooth or a foot out of joint, you couldn't go to the local clinic to the emergency care center, where would you go? You had to depend on whatever was available to you there and hope that the, the remedy that they would come up with would, would not uh, require you to give your whole life, you know. It would actually be a remedy. And where we once were harsh or even cruel towards others or to ourselves, we are now by the tutelage of his Holy Spirit. We're learning to act with godly gentleness. Gentleness. I know in the years that I've been doing marriage counseling that one of the traits that's most looked for in a future husband is a gentle husband. Not a harsh, domineering husband, but a gentle husband is what I've been told over and over again. And they ask, so what trait are you really desiring for your your future husband to have? And over and over, it's, it's gentleness, to be gentle. Not to be cruel and harsh and, and lording it over me, but to be gentle with me. And it reminds me of something, a very well-known Jewish author named Leo Rustin. Some of you may have heard of him. He's best known for writing a book called The Joys of Yiddish. It's a great book, by the way. But this is what he said. He came from, at the time he was born, he was born in the Russian Empire, which is now Poland. And he escaped to the United States. They came during the pogrom period to the United States. He became a well-known author, including, as I mentioned, the book, The Joys of Yiddish. 
But this is what he said. Very interesting that he said this. He said, quote, I learned that it is the weak who are cruel. I learned that it is the weak who are cruel and that gentleness is to be expected only from the strong. What great insight that is. And there was a 12th century philosopher that said it this way, quote, our greatest strength lies in the gentleness and tenderness of our heart, end quote. Now, lastly, as we conclude, another area the Holy Spirit brings change in a believer's life is in the area of self-control. We learn as the Spirit deals with us and it begins to work in our life, we learn that we need to leave behind overindulgence things. We need to make sure our life is in order and that we walk by the power of His Spirit in the area of self-control. And that includes our appetites for things as well as food. Now, that's a tough one to talk about in a, a very uh, bloated American society. It's very tough. But we have to learn there. It's something I think I struggle with, probably all of us do, to, to get that balance there, to be able to, to walk in with self-control and yet be wise and take care of ourselves. Now, I've mentioned all the fruit of the Spirit so far. I didn't point them out, this is number one, this is number two, number three, as much as I like to do that. But I purposely left one out. I left one of the fruit of the Spirit out. I mentioned the other eight, but I left one out. And the one I left out, some of you may have noticed it, it's the first fruit that's listed in Galatians chapter 5. In Paul's list, that fruit of the Spirit is love. Love, L-O-V-E, ahava. Now, the love that's described in Galatians 5, if you look at the Greek text, you realize that, that the word that's used there for love, the fruit of the Spirit is love, the first thing mentioned. The word that's used for love there is not the word phileo, where we get Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. Or it's not the word eros, which is sensual love. Neither of those words. It's the word we probably know most of all for love, and that's the agapeo, the agape love of God. That selfless, that, that God kind of love. And it's probably listed first in Galatians 5.22 because it's upon that that all the other fruit of the Spirit are really founded. Because if we walk in love, these other things are going to happen. They will take place. So the fruit of the Spirit should be founded upon true, pure, divine love at work in our lives. The real stuff. 1 Corinthians 13. Some of you have this memorized by heart, beginning with verse 1. I want to read the first three verses and then the last verse. Rav Shaul wrote, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass, or a clanging symbol. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and, and though I have all faith that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. And he goes on from there and concludes in verse 13. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. 
But say the rest of it with me. But the greatest of these is love. Let's say that again. But the greatest of these is love. When I think about that term love, that idea of love, I also think of something Rob Schill wrote in the same epistle in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 14. Wow, what a blanket statement this is. It says, let all that you do be done with love. Will you say that with me, please? Let all that you do be done with love. How much of our doings, how many of our doings should be done with love? All. Isn't that a challenge? I find that challenging. (laughs) When I want to be impatient, there should be love showing forth somehow. And above all else, I think God's love is revealed in a very special way. In 1 John 3, verse 16, it tells us directly about God's love. It says, by this we know love. By this we know love because Yeshua laid down his life for us. That us includes each of us here today, each person hearing these words. By this we know love because Yeshua laid down his life for us. And then there's this. (laughs) And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Wow. Are we willing to sacrifice to help others? Are we willing to cast aside our unfaithfulness to be faithful in the community? We also ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. And it's just two verses afterward. I'll conclude with these words. 1 John 3, verses 18 and 19. I love how tender this is. He says, my little children, characteristic of the the first epistle of John. That phrase, my little children. I'm glad I didn't say, you evil, terrible people. It says, my little children, it's tender. It's appealing. It's exhortative. It says, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue. Let us love in deed and in truth. And then verse 19, and by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you showed your love to us by sending us your son, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. Thank you, Lord, that there is this historical reference point in all eternal life, all eternal calendars, all eternal activities or actions that Yeshua willingly gave his life for us. Lord, I pray for each person here today. Pray for each of us that we would learn to walk in your love and to abound in the fruit of your spirit, to be yielded to your Holy Spirit, and to sense your hand upon our lives, the the power of your Holy Spirit upon our lives. We ask, Lord, for help in the areas of weakness in our relationships, in our interactions at work, at our place of study, within our families, Lord, that you would strengthen and shore up and allow us, Lord, to be, be of, of those who would bring forward within others the good things of your kingdom. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for this Shabbat. As we just in a few moments go across the hall for Onhek, 
Thank you for the food you provide, both the physical and the spiritual. I ask these things according to the merit of Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 10.40 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.